Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CT Podcast. This is Stephanie, also known as Sprofi, and I'm here with Julia Pastel. Hello. Now, Julia is going to be on the other side of the table for the first time for these CT interviews. How does that feel? The tables have turned. (laughs) (laughs) I get to be the one that asks the probing questions now. Uh, Do not probe me, Stephanie. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't we start with basic questions and give us a basic introduction of you and where you're from and a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm from, I'm originally from New Jersey. I'm from Summit, New Jersey. Um, known, it is the home of, I believe, Danny DeVito and Meryl Streep, or at least they went to fancy private schools in Summit. Um, and then I went to Skidmore College in Saratoga Springs, New York, where I met Gregory David Ludovici, who I now live with here in Hartford. And, um... And then after that, I, well, I studied abroad in Ghana, which I really loved. And then I moved to China, outside Beijing, for a year. And then I was living in New York for a couple of years. And then I moved here to Harvard. And that is my geographical history. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to mention that, that you have definitely a wide variety of places that you've lived before. I mean, would you say that the places that you've been before have had a big influence on kind of who you are and the stuff that you find interesting? Um, yes and no. <laughs> There's these, like, peeing sounds, but it's really as <laughs> pouring wine into my glasses. And the, my new amazing microphone is definitely going to pick those up. Um, I think that is is true and not true. It's not true because I hadn't traveled very much before I was 20. So, you know, my, my personality is, was pretty formed in a way. Sometimes I think... Sometimes I'm certain that from about age 11 to about age 21 or 22, I was, like, altering my personality for, you know, like, social reasons. And I'm just regressing, or I would say progressing, back to the person I was when I was 10. I'm starting (laughs) to have the exact same interests as my 10-year-old self, which is, like, reading, writing, saving the wolves, swimming a lot. And, like, hanging out with my friends and family. Those are pretty much my priorities. I used to write letters to senators about whales. And I would, like, cut um, cut the plastic rings that soda cans come in so that fish wouldn't get their heads caught in them. That kind of thing. I was really into that. But when I started traveling, it was really out of an interest of wanting to go somewhere that would be really hard for me. And that I would find really challenging, which I did. And then I just really loved that kind of challenge and doing new things. I literally walked into the study abroad office at Skidmore and I said, I want to go somewhere really difficult. You know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to go to London or France. <laughs> France would have been difficult because my French is seriously horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but that was my goal. I wanted to really try something new. And that was Ghana? Yeah. And was it difficult? It was. Um, I was kind of overjoyed to be there, so, um, I mean, there was nothing about it I didn't love. I was doing an arts and culture immersion program, so it was a lot of music and dance and drumming and stuff, and um, I, I lived for a month in a, I've talked about this a million times, but um, I lived for a month with, with one friend in a 
in a village with no electricity or running water that was literally so far away that once a week we sat at the side of the road and waited for one car would go by a day and we would like hitchhike in the car to the nearest phone which was a three hour drive away we would make a call on a payphone to say like hey we're still alive for two seconds and then hitchhike in the car back and that was like one entire day a week was making this two minute phone call to our program so it was really remote <laughs> uh but yeah so i mean it was it was hard in in that you know it's it's hard to to kind of deal with the idea of how easy a life that you've had or that we have here in america and that you know you want to help so many people or you want to you know be a citizen of the world to put it in the completely cheesy 20 year old way but um you know it was hard in that way, but in another way, it's just a wonderful place, and people are awesome, and I would go back there in a second. I would go back. Th- I was saying to Greg yesterday, like, hey, let's let's go. <laughs> but. Now, I've only seen Julia in Hartford. Oh, man. And you seem, you seem very immersed in Hartford. Like, you work at the Mark Twain house, and you're in CT, mm-hmm. and you're, like, very deep in, especially the, like, uh, like the arts culture and the performance culture in Hartford. Were, were you as integrated in the other places that you've been? I was integrated in Skidmore for, for sure. Well, in high school, I was really into theater. So, um, and I did a little improv then. That's when I first heard about it. Uh, and that was kind of my role in high school. My high school, to, from my point of view, have you ever seen Mean Girls? Yeah. Okay. So, you know in the part where they're like, these are the jocks. <laughs> These are the Asians. Like that's how my high school felt in my mind, which I'm sure many people in my high school disagree with. But my very clear role was as a theatrical person, so I was very immersed in that way. Um, and then in Skidmore, I was I did a lot of music and theater and like English department dork stuff that I loved. Um, but yeah, when I came to Hartford, I felt like you know if I'm gonna be here which I didn't want to be here. You know, I moved here kind of as like a I was I was trying to get Greg to move to New York forever and then I was like, "Fine, as revenge, I'll move to Harvard." <laughs> which didn't really make sense or work out in my favor. <laughs> How revenge? Like uh I don't know. I don't it, there's it doesn't make logical sense. It was just like you know, like Here's how it was revenge. It was like we had been dating for a long time, like maybe six years, and we had, hadn't lived together in a, in a while since since we had met at Skidmore. And I felt like, you know, it was time. And so I was like, well, one of us have to, has to make a move, and we were basically playing chicken with each other. And it was like, fine, I'll make a move, blah, blah, blah. Even though I loved, I loved living in New York, and I didn't really – part of me didn't want to leave, but part of me really did want to leave because it was really – I would fall asleep on the subway, like, every day. And I, I was like, this is a really bad – like, one day I'm going to take that six train to Pelham Bay Park, and I'm going to die. Um, but – it, but yeah, so when I moved to Hartford, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I, w- I really want to make the best of it. So within a couple of months, I had, f- I literally had five jobs. They were all sh- like the same small. Time? Yeah, they, I was a wait- I was a host at City Steam. I was teaching English as a second language at Capital Community College. I was writing press releases for Heartbeat Ensemble. Oh my God, what were they? Oh, I was interning at the Twain House. And what was the last one? 
what was the last one? I always forget one. I'll remember at some point in this podcast. But yeah, I had five at once, and it was unsustainable. And then they all kind of simultaneously either promoted me or wanted me to commit more time. And so I went with the Twain House. What made you choose the Twain House? It is really... The people that work there are great. That's pretty much it. Fair enough. Yeah. Now you mentioned back in high school that you were into performing. What was your first like four-way, foray into Oh, well, performing okay. Or? So I had this friend, Joanna, my best friend since I was very, very, very young. And she was really into musicals and stuff. We live very close to New York, about half an hour away, and we would go in to see shows all the time. And or she would. She would. And she <laughs> I have always had bossy friends, like really, really bossy friends. <laughs> my all of my best friends throughout life have been very dominant. And and it's just like the traveling thing. Like I I like I like that. I like that they're like, try this new thing, do this new thing, wanna move in with me? Okay. So, um, I've given into peer pressure I, countless times, but it's led me into incredibly great places. So, this is one of those times. So, when she was 11, um, when we were 11, she wanted to be in Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, which was the middle school musical, and she made me audition with her, and I complied because I was very obedient. I was absolutely, by the way, cripplingly shy. I, I mean, like, wouldn't speak. If my teacher spoke to me, I would well up with tears because it was, like, so embarrassing to have another human being <laughs> paying any attention to me. So, but I love to sing. So, Joanna, <laughs> so Joanna basically bullied me into auditioning for Charlie Brown. And she and I looked like... We looked almost exactly like Peppermint Patty and Sally. I was very small, and I looked like Sally Brown, and she looked like Peppermint Patty. So we got cast together, and I just, like, I don't even know what happened. It must have been the most magical thing for my parents to see because it was very sudden. Within a month or two, I just absolutely loved performing, and I, you know, I I loved, loved, loved the... um, the show and I love singing in it and I love being in front of people and that was it. It was like an an instantaneous experience of I love this, I want to do this. So I did for a long time. But then in high school I was nominated for a a big acting award in New Jersey and I I was like okay, this is great. I love it, but I don't want to do this anymore. And I kind of quit cold turkey until uh, basically until now. So getting recognition made you pull back? I think I was like, the, I don't want this to be my entire identity. I want to do some other things. So did I you, was like a word nerd after that. <laughs> did you do performance, any performances at Skidmore? I did. I was the president of my acapella group, which is the nerdiest possible. <laughs> what was the acapella thing. group at Skidmore? It was called The Accents. It was all girls. Um, and then I did do a few musical type numbers with a club that Greg started called the AIDS Benefit, which the proceeds from the performances would go to the AIDS Coalition in Saratoga. So, um, you know, this was right after, you know, I, I wanted to perform, but I didn't want to 
have any big time commitments or be in any big things. So that's actually how Greg and I met. I remember meeting him because I, I auditioned for him. I basically auditioned to be your girlfriend, Greg. How do you feel about that? He's <laughs> pretending he's not here right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was that was kind of how I got back into it. But I, I haven't been in a musical once since since I was in Guys and Dolls in high school. You got the part. What? <laughs> oh, except, yeah, yeah. What? You did have that brief. Oh, Greg's being cheesy. <laughs> you did have that brief role in uh, the production of Annie that oh, I just I forgot. recently. Yes, I did. I did. I was um, the kind of understudy or like double cast with a local celebrity as a the 30-second soloist at the Harvard Children's Theater production of Annie. That was really fun. I got to wear a wig. Did that awaken any stirrings in your heart to be in musical theater again? It did, except after improv, I'm so spoiled about not having to do anything more than once. (laughs) Like, I would be like, we have to do this again and again and again. Like, I have to come here every day for a week just to do this, you know? Which, you know, that's, that's how it works. But I had forgotten that feeling... I I love the feeling of improv, like, oh my god, here we go, and then it's over, and if it was really great, like, yay, you can just ride the high, and if it wasn't really great, eh, there's always a performance, a whole new chance next week, you know? That's one of the things I like about improv as well. Yeah. You had mentioned earlier that you had kind of switched over to words mm-hmm. after performance in high school. Yeah. Now, it's probably going to be a weird question, but would you consider yourself more of a like a writer or a performer because even with being in ct with you and performing as much as i do with you i think in my mind i think of you as a writer first and then a performer and i'm just curious how you think of yourself i think of myself as a writer too i think well when i was at the height of my writing which is not now which is kind of sad but i mean like when i was reading and writing every day you know, when it was the total focus of my life, I got my master's in, in nonfiction, which, and it was all personal writing. So it was like personal essay and memoir, that kind of thing. Um, I would think in writing and any writer who will listen to this knows exactly what I mean. Actually, I think Laura and I talked about this too. Like if I was experiencing something that was really fantastic, I would start writing it in my head. I'd be like, oh my God, this is how I'm going to write this later. Or this is how I'm going to tell this story later. You know? And that's really a point of view. I guess performing is a point of view on the world too. But in a way, you know, all people perform all the time when they're in front of other people. So it feels less unusual. I don't go into a party or something thinking like, I'm performing now. But I do kind of sometimes go into situations feeling like a writer. Or not feeling like a writer, which is a lot more depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think your your writing has affected your improv or vice versa? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that improv is really good for writing. I think that some of the basic rules about improv are very applicable to writing, like make bold choices and be specific and listen and everything. Um, oh my gosh, but, but in my mind, they're really pretty separate. I, I like 
I mean, I like what I said I liked about improv a second ago. Like, I like how free it is, how, like, <laughs> little of a sense of responsibility I feel when doing it. But I don't feel that with writing. I feel a huge sense to say the right thing or um, express myself clearly. I guess I should probably express myself <laughs> clearly in improv, too. But um, I feel, okay, here's, here's a big statement. I feel like my real voice is in writing. I don't feel like when I'm when I talk that's my real voice I don't feel like when I'm performing that's my like most articulate voice I think my most articulate voice is in writing now I've read a decent amount of your writing through reading your blog oh really everyone, oh my blog everyone should read Julia's blog it's very good it's juliapastel.com right yep <laughs> and from your your writing, I would say that a lot of the humor is implicit more than explicit. <laughs> like in your in your writing, you don't. It doesn't seem like you're trying to be funny. Uh, like a no. lot of the humor rises from the situation. Do you have any interest, or like, would you consider yourself an explicitly funny writer, or have any interest in becoming an explicitly writer, funny writer? You know, I don't think that I'm funny at all. I don't. I, I mean, I like when funny things happen. I like when absurd things happen, really. But, you know, I've been, like Dan, listening to a lot of podcasts and reading a lot about comedians. And, like, you know, there's that thing of, like, oh, I always like to make people laugh. No, that was never something I was interested in. Ever. Really? You know? Yeah, that's just not... I mean, I, I do like to make people laugh, of course. But it's... I'm more into thinking making connections or like thinking deeply about things or seeing things in a new way really than being funny i mean any any improv game where the absolute explicit purpose is to be funny really freaks me out <laughs> like when we were playing earlier that last, um, action, last hero. action hero like punchline game i just like i can't <laughs> I'm like ah the pressure to be funny is too much for me so i like the improv games that are really verbal or really narrative and honestly most of the time when I say something that gets a laugh I don't I don't even know if it's funny I don't think of it as funny I'm just like oh here's an observation or something can you give us an example <laughs> of an improv game one of the short form games that you really enjoy or sure um Oh, I like so many. I like Alphabet. <coughs> I'm, like, the only person in the world who likes it, but... I like Alphabet. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I care that you like it. Um, I like it because I like the, the cleverness of having to fit things into that structure. Um, I really like anything that goes off an interview. Those are probably my favorite games. When Okay, because here's here's why I like them, and here's why they're inherently funny, but also why you inherently don't have to be funny to play them. I like a game like Day in the Life where you get an interview and then you essentially repeat back to the person what they just told you, but you're saying to them, like, here's how you sound. <laughs> here's what everyone is hearing when you communicate what you're communicating, you know? And we're going to pick out what you did not intend to communicate and we're going to put it in front of you and haha, isn't it absurd? Like, isn't life absurd? It's parody. Yeah. I love that. I love that idea. So, and like, okay, here's the real story of what you're, of what you're trying to say. So those are the games I like. 
You know what I mean? So outside of improv, what are things that you, you find funny? Like, it could be comedians or TV shows or movies or even just situations <laughs> Or my you cat find. using the litter box. <laughs> Very loudly. <laughs> Being picked up by this amazing microphone. Um, God, why are they so bad tonight? Um, okay. Oh, wow. I find so many things funny. I find... <coughs> well, um, I love Arrested Development. And I love Reno 911. Really? <laughs> yeah, I do. When I, I remember the first time I saw Reno 911 and being like, what is this absolute garbage? And now I, I really couldn't love more. It's so ridiculous. Um, I love, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say that I like funny TV shows and movies more than I like stand-up. I like some stand-up, but... I like the way that humor comes out of story a lot of the times. Um, and, you know, honestly, to me, I probably laugh the hardest when hearing, like, very well-told personal stories from family or friends. You know? Yeah. <coughs> I'm, like, choking on late-night dust. I don't know what this is. <laughs> but um, my family... um sits around and rehashes the same exact stories every Thanksgiving and Christmas and every time they slay me. I I could hear, if I like a story, I will listen to it 300 times and laugh at the same parts every time. Now, is it the, the telling of the story? Like the, the, oh, yeah. the charisma of the story? Or the, oh, yeah. The timing? I mean, Greg, Greg tells me that when we were at Skidmore, he would... Uh, <laughs> like see me across the dining hall and apparently Greg tell me if this is true I would be like standing up wildly gesticulating with my hands telling some crazy story is that true? Oh well uh, standing sitting you were always at one of those big round tables with 12 people surrounding yeah. you you know uh, <laughs> lost in your story and yes there was always a great story and then a big laugh at the end yeah there's I mean there's a lot there's a lot to the telling of a story like, um, and just, you know, just as I said before, sometimes I know a great story is happening when it's happening and you look for details that you're going to incorporate later. Like recently, this is my favorite thing that's happened to me in the last year or so story-wise. This guy, uh, we were invited to a birthday party in this complete hellhole of like, a, it was like a karaoke bar in a hotel in a strip mall. Um... And it was Matt Sakula's birthday, who's a, a friend, and he's wonderful. <laughs> but I, it was, like, pouring rain, and I was like, oh, I really want to go, but, you know, what is this place? And we get there, and there's karaoke, and just, like, totally drunk, horrible, just just one of those situations. You know what I mean. Yes. And, um, and we don't really know anybody, and we're late, and everybody's already talking to each other, and, but I, I love karaoke. And, um, because it's, like, the only time I get to sing anymore. So, so somebody spots, like, over in the corner waiting outside the bar is this really sour-looking mom, and she she's with this kid, and this kid is, like, a, a pudgy 10-year-old, and he has two broken arms. Two broken arms, and he's sitting, and they're waiting for a pizza. <coughs> and somebody goes over to him and says, um... Like, hey kid, we'll sing a karaoke song in your honor. And 
And they're like, what do you want to hear? And he, he only wants to hear Eminem. And everyone at this party is like, we don't know any Eminem. We don't know. And I'm like, I know Eminem. Come on, you guys. <laughs> like, like, whitest white girl from New Jersey. And please, I can do Lose Yourself karaoke. So I, I went up to the kid and I was like, all right, we're going we're gonna to do this song together. But I'll only do it if you sing it with me. If you, like, come into the bar, which I believe is illegal. <laughs> if you come into the bar with your two broken hands and we'll sing Lose Yourself together. And he was like, he looked at me and he, he was like, I want to, but I can't hold the microphone. <laughs> he, like, holds up his little cast. So I'm like, don't worry, I'll hold it for you. And he comes up and we do the song and, like, everyone's cheering. And this kid's life is made for maybe, like, the first half of the song. He's so happy. We're doing Lose Yourself, and then all of a sudden I see, like, the, he, like, he also realizes, like, the embarrassing patheticness of the situation, and basically, like, I I felt like I saw him grow up, you know? (laughs) Like, we're, we're doing Lose Yourself in this karaoke bar, and it's just terrible. So, and then he left. But, like, as that was happening, this, basically the second I saw a kid with two broken arms, I, I was like, this is going to be amazing. Like, there was no way that I would refuse to do karaoke with a kid with two broken arms because I know, A, that it's going to make his day, and B, that it's going to be a great story later. So that's pretty much the way I think. Fair enough. <laughs> now, I feel like we haven't touched on CT much at all, and I yeah. just want to touch on that before we do your patent closer. Sure, yeah. Of, like, new. you've been in CT since the beginning. Yeah. Now, how would you say that... Either CT in general, or maybe even your role or yourself in CT. How would you say it's changed since the beginning? It's been around for hmm. two and a half, three years now. Um, it's changed a kind of a lot and not at all. Um, I think that what has really been intense is that everyone in CT is very close. You know, I feel that it's not just a hobby for anyone. So it, at first that closeness, well, growing that closeness was really a wonderful time. You know, like we don't know each other. We're from very different backgrounds. When we, the seven of us first met, I mean, really wildly different situations of where we had been and, you know, what we wanted out of the group. Um... But how it's changed is that it's been so successful. You know, we've really had to deal with the amount that people want us to perform. And, you know, the the growing pains have been really crazy. I'm very surprised that it's been as stressful as it has been. Like, the amount of emails and the amount of decisions that have to be made. And then, you know, taking new people into the group, yourself included, was absolutely wonderful but also like how are we gonna how are we gonna do this ah. um so that's how it's changed it's changed because it it is always growing there is no there has never been a break or rest in the growth so we're always trying to do a new thing it's nice that it doesn't get stagnant oh my god not at all not at all there's no time for it to get stagnant we perform so much <laughs> we perform like twice a week now um and then teaching and workshops, and it's just crazy. All right. So to finish up, okay, we're going to need your five fun, interesting, possibly right. unknown facts about you. Surprising slash not surprising. I haven't 
thought about this in advance. So I will stumble <laughs> through it <laughs> just as everyone else. If you want some prompts, did. let me know. Okay. Um, let's see. Yes, I would like a prompt. Uh, how about an embarrassing moment from your childhood? Oh, man. Embarrassing moment. What wasn't embarrassing about being a kid? Let's be serious. Um, well, when I say childhood, I basically mean any time before 18. <laughs> okay. All right. This is a good one. Um, I really shouldn't tell this story, but I will. <laughs> uh, okay. So when I was 12, I had this really great friend whom I loved. But she, <laughs> one day we were in the pizza line. It was like Pizza Friday, some middle school. And she turned to me and like really thoughtfully said, Julia, you know, I'm getting popular and you're just not. And that was the end of her friendship. Oh <laughs> like I had, I, I didn't, and I remember not really reacting, just being like, yes, that is a fact. <laughs> and okay. And I had a lot of little moments like that where where people would be like overtly cruel or whatever that is. And yeah, those were embarrassing. Those were really, really embarrassing. Ooh, how about a bit more of an uplifting one for number two? <laughs> um, there's nothing uplifting about being embarrassed. Yeah. Steph, it's a terrible feeling. Sorry. Give me another prompt. <laughs> Uh, Don't how, about, apologize. how about a surprising skill or talent that m- people might know that you have? Hmm. Um, hmm. Mm, I don't have any. None. I'm a regular person. Sorry, guys. All right. What's your, your secret go-to recipe? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I forgot before mentioning okay. that. <laughs> Alright, here's a surprising skill I have. Being the worst cook in the universe. It is amazing. Alright, everything I cook is mysteriously wet. That is a fun fact about me. I forgot about that before I asked the question. Um, no, I do make um, I do make peanut butter chocolate chip cookies all the time. I'm a pretty good baker. But my cooking is... Really phenomenally horrible. Last night, Greg and I choked down about four pounds of <laughs> Swiss chard, which I made with, like, soy sauce and sesame seeds, and it was seriously, we ate it in silence. It was <laughs> awful. Oh. But that's a good fun fact about me. Okay, let's see. I'm going to come up with something good, because okay. the normal questions don't work on me, because I'm so boring. Um, okay, here's one. I am certified in trapping feral cats. And did that come about before the cats you have now? Yes, I have raised many a feral kitten, and um, it started when I was in the Bronx. There's a lot of feral cats there, and my friend Keegan and I got neutered in. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, that is not. No, we got neutered together. No. Um, we got certified. Greg, Greg is giving you a shock. Confused expression. <laughs> we got certified. I'm looking at the bottle of wine. <laughs> Greg, shut up. We got certified in this process called trap neuter release, which is where you trap feral cats, you bring them somewhere, they get sedated, they get neutered, and then they get re-released into their communities because they will just never be good house cats. They won't. They need to live in the wild. They're wild animals. But I've fostered. Three litters of kittens, and these current cats are the latest and greatest. All right. 
So I have two more. Okay. Oh, I've got a good question. Okay, go. Now, you're definitely an avid reader, and we're in your apartment right now, and oh you've just God. got, like, books and books and books of fabulous books. Books uh, and books and books of fabulous <laughs> books. Shelves and shelves of fabulous books. Do you have, like, a guilty pleasure read? Oh, my God. I said, not only do I have a guilty pleasure read, but I have a guilty pleasure section in another room. It's <laughs> <laughs> squirreled away so yeah. nobody sees it. I mean, these are the books that people might respect, but I have, like, a whole stack of unrespectable books. Um, I'm about to start doing another podcast with some friends um, from my master's program at Bennington College. Um, and I am making them read for our inaugural podcast, the Sweet Valley books, because <laughs> I loved those books as a kid. And I really like Sweet Valley Twins. That's how lame I was. I didn't even like, it was like too racy for me, Sweet Valley High. But <laughs> I recently reread Sweet Valley High and they're just absurd. And, um, yeah, so I'm making these two guys read Sweet Valley High and we're going to talk about it. And I'm, I couldn't be happier <laughs> to talk about Sweet Valley High with them. Nice. Um, but I'm also reading Game of Thrones right now, which I... You consider that a guilty read? Oh my I feel god. like everyone's reading that now. I know. It's like, okay, here's something I feel guilty about involving reading. I... If a book gets popular enough, I will read it. Because I, I'm a very fast reader... And I like to be in the cultural conversation. I will never be a person who says, like, that's crap. I'll never read it. Because I would rather read the worst Dan Brown novel in history, which, by the way, I've read them, I've read several of those books, and they're awful. But I would rather be able to say, like, I absolutely hate this book, and here is the logical breakdown of why, than say, I won't even touch it. I, Mark Twain said... I'm going to quote Mark Twain. I'm pathetic and sad <laughs> and too into my job. But I, I believe it was him who said, there is no difference between people who can't read and who won't read. So, there you go. All right, one more. Okay, one more fun thing. Um, okay. My desk over there. Okay. I, I bought off the street from a homeless French man in Harlem when I was a dog walker there and the two of us stuffed it into a cab and I like a black cab an illegal cab because it was it's too slightly too big to fit into a regular cab and drove it up to the Bronx and I love it and I will never get rid of it there's a lot of information in that sentence (laughs) (laughs) yep all right is there anything else you want to tell our listeners before we sign out for the night i love doing this podcast that's it i loved it too yay all right thanks listeners bye